Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL Podcast, first round draft edition. Uh, we'll just go with that, I guess, Connor. Uh, I'm Gary Gramley, by the way. Hi, I'm Connor Orr. <laughs> much, much more professional. There you so, go. <laughs> so the first round is in the books here, but the biggest stories of Thursday night were the guys who got traded, not necessarily got drafted. We're going to start this with the Eagles trade for A.J. Brown. Uh, they also added Jordan Davis, and we'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, yeah, the Eagles end up landing, uh, I mean, gosh, a, a top-five receiver in this league, a guy who, you know, I said it a couple weeks ago, and I might as well double down now. I think there's a timeline in the metaverse where A.J. Brown is considered the best receiver in football by the end of 2022. And this is just... <laughs> It was shocking, and if you're an Eagles fan, you're incredibly excited right now with good reason. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't think that there is a better example of of pure, I don't know what you call it, general managing than what Harry Roseman has done over the past three years, two years to lead to this point where he's had the flexibility to do this. Like, think about this. You traded Carson Wentz, and you got a first-round pick out of him. And he was so bad in Indianapolis that, like, even the owner was like, jeepers, we got to get rid of this guy and said it publicly and then traded him again. Um, he he came into last year's draft, and this is what I was told, wanted either Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith. Didn't care. Well, didn't not didn't care, but would have liked either <laughs> one of those two, right? Trades back six picks, gets another first round pick and still ends up with Devonta Smith. Um Trades with the Saints this year, still has additional capital in next year's draft, has enough ammunition to sneak in front of um, the Ravens to get the defensive tackle that he wants this year, and then still enough capital to pull off the A.J. Brown trade. And he got A.J. Brown for less than um, Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams. And the receivers market is is bonkers right now. Like this is, I mean, it's just, I he has done an incredible, an incredible job. His GMing has been outstanding. GMing, yeah. yes, yeah. So they still have that first round pick from the Saints for next year, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But as far as what Brown brings to this team, I mean, look, AJ Brown helped make Ryan Tannehill into a star. Uh, he is a a catch and run maestro. Uh, he is as good as it comes in the game as far as those in breaking routes at the intermediate level. He is something the Eagles really didn't have last year. And now, you know, as we always say, we love complimentary pieces here. And uh, stylistically, A.J. Brown on one side and Devonta Smith on the other, that is just a really good tandem. Yeah, and what the Eagles do really well, I mean, they they have this ability to... They're a shape-shifting team, right? They're not a pure outside zone, but they have outside mm-hmm. zone elements, right? And they run inside zone. Um, they they run a lot of different concepts, but they possess... I mean, that veteran offensive line is huge because it gives them the flexibility to just, like, slam it in 13 personnel, um, to run zone read concepts, or to get out and run outside zone. And so I think what they're going to be able to do... Like, they were able to carve up defenses playing Dallas Goddard and Devonta Smith off each other, which is really hard to do with that speed discrepancy between those two guys. Um, But now you add A.J. Brown to the fold. I mean, this offense could be, like, not dominant, but I I bet if you looked at, like, maybe, like, efficiency rankings at the end of next year, 
I could see them being like a top five team in terms of like to- like team efficiency offense wise. Well, the question mark is Jalen Hurts here, and you know it's kind of unfair. We've talked about this, but they've kind of been one foot out on Jalen Hurts. I mean, they've been kicking the tires on all the uh, sort of veteran star quarterbacks who were potentially available. It seems like there's. Uh, I I I feel like it's probably more likely than not that they move on from Hurts after this year. Uh, now, obviously, if Hurts uh, really takes a step forward, they rethink that. But since they have that Saints first-round pick, you know, yeah, even if the Eagles are picking around like 25 or something like that, that's enough ammo to, to jump up and get a quarterback in what's a very deep class here or just get involved with, uh, you know, whatever veteran quarterback wants out next year. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they can, you know, they're in the mix for Kirk Cousins. You know, if Kirk Cousins wants to get out, like I'm trying to I'm trying to get ahead. Right. Um, I mean, Derek Carr, you know, that really, you know, could just be a one year deal in in mm-hmm. Las Vegas. Right. You know, yep. he, he could become available and whatever it is. I mean, that team is primed, man. I mean, you know, and, and, and they'll have to spend some effort in rejuvenating that offensive line. Uh, obviously, I mean, you know, Kelsey and Lane Johnson, I mean, those guys aren't going to last forever, but they have some youth. They have some young blood that's, um, that's coming uh, in the pipeline there too. So I don't know. I mean, yes. Is, does Philadelphia still kind of leave themselves dismantled in their secondary? Yeah. But I don't, I don't see a team that had a better first round, uh, you know, the veteran established talent is so much more valuable than it used to be. Like mm-hmm. we used to believe that the right thing to do was to keep just trading for more lottery tickets, but now it's whoever cashes them in for the known uh, for the known quantity. And there was no better. I mean, if AJ Brown was in this draft and we knew what we know about him now, he would have gone what third yeah. overall, maybe. You know, yep. yeah, absolutely. Now look. They have A.J. Brown and DeMonta Smith and that offensive line and Dallas Goddard. I, I think it's fair to say that's locked in for like three years. That's going to be the core of their offense through 2025. <laughs> and now you have the ability to drop in a quarterback next offseason if you decide you have to do that. If you, if it turns out Jalen Hurts is not your answer there. And that's that's just incredible. I mean, we were wondering like six weeks ago, what are the Eagles going to do with three mid-first-round picks in this draft? Like, uh, get yourself a George Karlaftis and like Drake London and one other dude and and uh, call it a day. But no, they end up with A.J. Brown. They trade up. They, they hop in front of the Ravens, get Jordan Davis. And uh, yeah, they have that second first-round pick for next year. That's That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, and we're not even, I mean, of course, this is like the sub-headline to the sub-headline to the sub-headline, but like Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox is pretty damn good this year. Like yeah. the, the guard play in the NFC East is going to be borderline atrocious this year. And you line those two guys up over interior rushers, guard play and center play, really. I mean, um, which of these teams is, what well, the commanders are okay up front but dallas is rebuilding they had to draft a first round offensive lineman this year mm-hmm. the giants um got evan neal um but their interior is still weak it's incredibly weak and uh man those two guys putting those two guys over defensive or, 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 or guards like it look out I, I think that's crazy and the Titans side of this, they move on from A.J. Brown. They decided they weren't going to pay him that they're up against it a little bit more cap wise that is it's just a huge bummer because A.J. Brown is not only really good 
he's just the kind of guy, like, if you were a 12-year-old Titans fan, and there are 12-year-old Titans fans out there, I just don't know any personally, but if you were a 12-year-old Titans fan, you have an A.J. Brown jersey, right? Like, he's got to be your first choice. Yeah, there was, um, after the after the pick, uh, ESPN, like, panned the crowd, and there was, like, generic Titans fan B there with, like, his generic Titan fr- friend B and C, <laughs> and, like, th- they were all just, like, wearing AJ Brown jerseys and just looking at each other like, oh, and, you know, and, but then, like, someone, uh, I think there was a woman in a Ryan Tannehill jersey, like, yeah, and I was like, hey. <laughs> You're also going to need a new jersey in a year. So, uh, you know, (laughs) can we just make one quick side point? Jerseys are horrible investments. Don't buy NFL jerseys. And if you're going to buy an NFL jersey, buy an NFL jersey with your own name on it. it. It costs the same from NFL shop. Just put your own name and the number that you would like on it or buy a player who is already retired and is so far beyond the public consciousness that they can't do something stupid that makes wearing the jersey uh, just an an impossible thing. That's why the last jersey purchase I made, maybe in my life, was uh, Pete Metzler's. You know what my last jersey purchase was? And it was a good one. You know what it was? Boy, must have been a Browns guy, uh, Ozzie Newsome. No, No, not a Browns guy? Okay. Not a Browns guy, no. Not football? Football. Oh boy! Uh, well, was it like a Connor or uh, Jaguars jersey? No, it was <laughs> a Byron Leftwich Marshall jersey. Oh, that's pretty good. It's it's great. It's still in my closet at my parents' house. It's uh, I've never worn it. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> like there's there's nowhere for me to wear it ever. But I'll never give it away, and I'll never let anybody have it. And every time I go home to visit my parents, I just want to walk into the closet and I want to know that it's there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Traylon Burks gets dropped into a bit of a messy situation here, but uh, I mean that the logic adds up. You know, you didn't want to pay AJ Brown, so you get a guy like AJ Brown uh, with the 18th pick, and man, it's a lot of pressure on him. <laughs> Yeah, you know, what's cool, though, um, is that it makes uh, you and I feel somewhat confident in our own process, right? Because we had pegged Burks as like that Debo Samuel, like the consummate, you know, that outside zone offense wide receiver. Mm -hmm. And the Titans seem to feel the same way. I mean, this is going to be a, um, you know what this is going to be? This is going to be a really interesting experiment, Um and I think Debo is included in this, and obviously he wasn't traded today, but like how much teams actually think, I mean, the Packers got rid of Devontae Adams too, right? How much these teams that are running this offense think that the offense can generate the talent versus what the talent is doing for the offenses. Mm -hmm. And the Titans are going to be the first team and the Packers simultaneously to really test those waters and be like, no, no, we're going to scheme guys open no matter what we do. Like you could give us, oh, I don't know. Who's a bad offensive player? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make anybody feel bad about themselves. Pete Metzelars, <laughs> move him to wide receiver, age 54. Yes. All right. So yeah, we thought Debo Samuel might get traded tonight. He did not, but another receiver did. Uh, besides AJ Brown, that was Marquise Brown. Uh, Hollywood Brown goes to the Cardinals here, reunites with Kyler Murray. Uh, obviously, is well versed in that air raid style offense. I don't know about you, Connor. I thought a year from now, 
we would be talking about Marquise Brown and like, oh, wow, you know, that's someone in just in free agency uh, just overpaid a lot for Marquise Brown. Like he's this year's Christian Kirk type of dude. I don't think the Ravens were going to bring him back. And instead, you know, the Cardinals give up, uh, they, they, they move down 77 picks from 23 to 100. And they, uh, they're they going to have to pay Hollywood Brown now, which I, I don't know. I guess if you're building around Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, maybe. At what point does Michael Bidwill look around and be like, am I making the right decisions here? Like, just kind of follow the tea leaves, right? Like when, when this tandem first got together, they were so woefully like surprised by the way that the draft fell that they panic selected Andy Isabella. And then their big move last year was like, watch out, 39-year-old J.J. Watt, who got hurt like four games into the season. Um, and then you tank at the end of last year and then extend them like nine seasons. Like they're, they're, they're going to be together through like 2027, Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury. So uh, we could have like five presidents by then, um, depending <laughs> on what's going on. Uh, but, uh, you know, and then, you know, to get absolutely pantsed uh, the way that they did last night, like you're going to have to pay Hollywood Brown in this market, right? Mm-hmm. Which is going to be wild. You're going to have to pay him more than Christian Kirk got, right? This is going to be a $20 million a year contract because you can't just trade a first round pick for a dude and then let him go. Uh, and like you spent basically the same amount that the Eagles spent for AJ Brown. Like it's, it's a bad look. It's a bad look across the board. He's kind of just, he's more than a gadget guy, but I don't know how yeah. much more than a gadget guy. <laughs> like it's, fine. it's not Rondale Moore, but uh, it's also not, and whatever, if DeAndre Hopkins Jr. was available, uh, everyone would go, go get him. I mean, he kind of was an A.J. Brown, and they didn't go get him. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like, okay, well, here's here's your number two receiver for the next couple of years, and, you know, you just gave up a lot to to get him. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, part of the thing with Marquise Brown too is, and, and again, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury will know how to use him slightly differently. Right. But I think a lot of the advantages that he had were that Lamar Jackson was fairly unique in his ability to extend like Lamar Jackson holds the ball for like, almost three quarters of a second longer than Kyler Murray does. I think mm-hmm. that's true. I have to, I would have to look back at snap to throw times, but I, and, which again are imperfect. Right. But Kyler Murray gets rid of the ball, like middle of the pack. Um, probably not as fast as he needs to in an air raid offense, but Lamar Jackson is one of the slowest releases in the NFL. And I think that helped a receiver like Marquise Brown. I don't know if it'll help him as much in Arizona, but maybe you get him the ball quicker. I don't know. And, and maybe you'll have more space to run because you have DeAndre Hopkins. But I mean, Marquise Brown's your legit number two. You know, I don't know. You could theoretically do some fun stuff with, you know, yeah. DeAndre Hopkins and Hollywood Brown and, and Rondale Moore. I don't know if we've seen a ton of fun stuff from this offense outside of, uh, you know, it, they do some trick plays like fake punts are fun but you're probably not going to have a fake punt as you're probably not the stable of your offense. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm as well, I'm slightly less excited for this than I was when the jets signed Tim Tebow. So that, that kind of shows you kind of where I'm at 
personally. Like, yeah. I, you know, with Tim Tebow, I was like, wow, he'll throw passes as a personal protector. And with Hollywood Brown, it's like, okay. Like, the Cardinals will be about the same as they were last year. Uh, but probably worse, right? I mean, well, go go back and uh, review Gary's sample size argument about the Cardinals. There you from go. The last, from the last 90 <laughs> episodes that he's brought it up. I know. <laughs> There is literally there, there is there's a good like ninety hours worth of my my Cardinals uh, uh, I don't know just screaming into the void about how they weren't very good even though they were seven and zero and you know what they weren't very good uh, the I I think the other interesting part of this trade because we are robots and we just look at this from a GM brain type of standpoint uh, there's sort of a human element with the two quarterbacks obviously the Cardinals are. You know, it's been a little bit rocky with Kyler Murray over the last couple months. Now you get to be like, hey, we got your friend on the team, uh, which he's probably happy about. Conversely, you look at Baltimore and, and, you know, Lamar Jackson puts out the WTF tweet. And, you know, it seems like this was kind of a bummer of a night for him, even though this was a really good trade value wise for his team. And uh, quite frankly, the Ravens landed two guys we'll get to in a moment but they landed two guys who maybe weren't for everyone in this draft but are going to be used very effectively in baltimore's offense yeah like you know for me i can't begin to put myself in lamar jackson's shoes where now you only have i mean you have a great tight end but that's about it like boy like there's there's nothing else you're throwing you know no one else you're throwing to next year um I can't, if I'm John Harbaugh, like walk in there and be like, dude, Tyler Linderbaum, like you're going to love him. Right. But um, like, I think that's probably not the day to have the, this conversation. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, he he not only tweeted WTF, but I think he retweeted um, like a fan who was like, what, why the F did we trade Marquise Brown? This is horrible. This is awful. Blah, blah, blah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, this is setting the stage in. I think that we talked about this a couple of months ago. This is setting the stage for a really weird season in Baltimore, right? Because um, you have Lamar Jackson self-representing himself in a contract situation. I think you have the Ravens who are probably somewhat reticent to sign him to a massive deal, even though they've been all like, oh, we'll give him whatever he wants um, publicly. And you just have this uneven track record in the postseason. You know, I, he's a phenomenal player, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know what happens here, um, but I could see some bad feelings developing quickly. So as far as what the Ravens got in the draft, yeah, you mentioned Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, he's sort of a center-only prospect, outside zone specialist. Uh, he's going to be very good in that system. And on top of that, they get Kyle Hamilton. And we talked about Kyle Hamilton, who a lot of people considered maybe the the best uh, you know prospect in this draft, regardless of position. But you know, not everyone uses their safeties correctly. The Ravens do use their safeties in a variety of ways. And, uh, you know, adding Kyle Hamilton to the team, this is the right defense. This is the right coordinator for him uh, in Mike McDonald. Yeah, and it's a situation where, um, again, maybe not the kind of pick that makes you immediately, like, inscrutably better, but it, it was the right pick. I mean, he he can't fall any further than that. Uh, you and I had him third, I think, in our mock draft when yeah. he did that. 
uh, in the last two podcasts. And that reflected that. I mean, you know, there was discussion of him, you know, uh, being one of the first three or four players off the board throughout the winter at the combine. I mean, that was a very real thing. And, you know, if all that changed was an underwhelming 40 time, then, okay, the rest of these teams are idiots. And I, I think that Baltimore comes through here with, uh, with it, with a, you know, I mean, is he Ed Reed? No, but is he an incredibly anticipatory player who's going to shut down some passing lanes and cause some problems? Yeah, for sure. Well, as far as the story of the night in regards to the draft itself, because it was actually draft night, even though we had these two trades, uh, it was tough to sort of project where the receivers were going to come off the board. And, and I know a lot of people were wondering, like, okay, well, you know, Packers trade Devontae Adams, Chiefs trade Tyreek Hill, they, they have late first-round picks. Maybe that's where they get their replacements in the in the first round here uh, that was not an option uh between eight and 18 the consensus sort of we'll call it the big six receivers here in this draft all came off the board and the saints had to jump up to get their guy the lions came up from 32 to get their guy and uh obviously we know the titans traded that uh uh aj brown to get the 18th pick and take trail on barks but that was kind of that was the trend of the night i guess the fact that that receiver run started, and if you didn't make a move then, you were just going to be out of luck. Yeah, it's so interesting how this stuff happens, and uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if we want to get into the individual picks. I think we can get into the individual picks uh, in a second, but from an overall market standpoint, um, I, I think it's such a fascinating thing, right? We have half the teams in the league betting big on established receiver talent like we talked about and then half the team saying no i mean we're we're just going to develop at the position and we're not going to pay for it um i i'm just so interested to see how this how this pans out because now like this is like 80% of the league that's like implicated in this mass experiment now and uh, and we're really seeing how it's going to play out in real time so we'll rapid fire these. Drake London to Atlanta at eight ends up being the first receiver off the board here. A big, uh, big possession guy for a team that doesn't really have uh, much at the receiver position with Calvin Ridley suspended for the year. So you get Drake London and you get Kyle Pitts, obviously, there for for uh, Marcus Mariota for 2022 only. Yeah, I, I kind of viewed London and Kyle Pitts as similar players um, a little bit. Um, I mean, London's obviously faster and but equal range and kind of similar size. But maybe, um, you know, Arthur Smith, we peg him as an outside go zone guy, but has been sort of a chameleon. I mean, he's been in Tennessee under a lot of really good coordinators, a lot mm -hmm. of good offensive minds. So maybe he has something uh, up his sleeve. Garrett Wilson, who is a lot of people's number one receiver, he ends up going to the Jets at 10. Jets just got to sit there and uh, and take the receiver. This was a nice, a nice night for the Jets and Giants from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, Joe Douglas uh, had as good of a night as a New York GM has had in a really, really long time. Uh, I like their draft slightly better than the Giants. And then to come up and get Jermaine Johnson, too, while he was slipping down the board was good. But yeah, I mean, they're leaving absolutely no excuse in a very important evaluatory year for uh, Zach Wilson. And the Saints hop up and get Chris Olave at 11, which I, you know, we, we did sort of the thought experiment during the mock draft series. If they take a Traylon Burks or a Drake London or, or someone like that, that probably means they are ready to move on from Michael Thomas. Chris Olave seems like more of a compliment to Michael Thomas. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, speaking of player tweets, I mean, Michael Thomas applauded uh, the initial Saints uh, trade with the Eagles. And so maybe he perhaps he knew something that uh, 
Uh, we didn't. All those Ohio State guys just talked to each other all the time, you know, uh, whether it was Chris Olave or Michael Thomas or Albert Breer. You know, they mm-hmm. all just uh, they all just gossip, you know, just all hanging out in, uh, I don't know, Albert's basement, probably watching the draft in in his rumpus room, perhaps. <laughs> the Lions jump up to 12 to take Jamison Williams. I thought they I, I, I thought this trade was. Really good for a couple of reasons. One, they didn't give up a ton uh, to come up 20 spots. And on top of that, look, they want to sort of open up this passing game a little bit. They, you know, if you want to see if Jared Goff is the guy or not, he probably isn't. But, you know, you want to give him a shot. Uh, Jared Goff had been in a highly schemed offense in L.A. I think he was a little too conservative when he arrived in Detroit last year. But he sort of shook that off as the year went on. Well, now you got some big play weapons for him. Jameson Williams is one of them. Uh, obviously, they, they brought in G.J. Shark to uh, go along with Amonra St. Brown. That's that's a really good trio there and Jared Goff gets to show if he can once again establish himself as a franchise quarterback yeah um and to backtrack for a second um we uh we totally botched the Chris Olave pronunciation on our last show but so did uh whoever announced the pick in the uh, draft this year but, oh yeah um yeah they, they said Olave this year on uh on TV like like I did um but just letting everybody else know. <laughs> but so a couple interesting things about the uh, the Lions pick. First of all, spent the whole combine hearing a lot of people rave about Quasi Adolfo Mensa, uh, the Vikings' new general manager. This was a weird deal, right? The Vikings traded their first and second round picks, so 12 and 46, to the Lions for their first, second, and third. So 32, 34, 66. I mean... You know, in a draft where it seems like the fall off was 16 or 17 in terms of talent, um, I think you gave up a lot and really didn't get a whole bunch in return. Yeah, it was a bit of a head scratcher, but uh, everyone's board is different. If you thought the strength was, I don't know, 32 to 50, maybe it makes some sense. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you feel like you need a couple more guys there, but the Vikings seem like, I mean, this is not a team that can just, you know, they're not like the chiefs where they can just henpeck around the edges here and just like pick up guys who fall to them. I mean, they, they need a lot of help, uh, on, on both sides of the ball. So I thought that was a little bit surprising, but Jameson Williams to the lions. I mean, you know, if I were Jameson Williams, probably wouldn't be that thrilled, but if I were Dan Campbell, I would be because this is such an organizational vote of confidence in you. Like they're treating you the way Brad Holmes is treating you the way that Les need has treated Sean McVay, which is mm-hmm. pretty incredible. Uh, the commanders who had moved down from 11 to 16 end up taking John Dotson out of Penn state and, uh, it's it's a nice pick. Uh, you get the sort of the speedy deep threat to go along with Terry McLaurin here. This to me was the sign that it was like, uh oh, <laughs> there's only one left. If you want Traylon Burks, you better make a move right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Dotson was like the um, the the music playing during your Oscar speech. You know, it mm-hmm. was like, oh boy. Um, uh, interesting stylistic compliments, right? I mean, we talk about that a lot on the show, but, um, you know, Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, and Dotson, uh, does that fit what Carson Wentz does best? I don't know. Do they care that it's what Carson Wentz does best, you know, at this point? I mean, do they kind of view him as a one-year solution to their problem anyway? I, I, I don't know. But uh, I also didn't think that was their biggest need. I don't know. Very curious night for the commanders, I would say so far very curious offseason for the commanders one could Indeed. say yeah 
Uh, and then obviously Traylon Burks to the Titans at 18 with the pick they got in the A.J. Brown trade. Let's go to the top of the draft because that's usually important. Uh, the Jaguars do indeed go with Trevon Walker here. Uh, later in the first round, they traded back in to get Devin Lloyd, the Utah linebacker, versatile guy. So a couple of really versatile defenders joining there. Nothing on offense, though. Uh, we, we do know they, they address that offensive line to an extent in free agency. But uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what's, your, what's your feel on Walker this way? I mean, this is this feels like the riskiest first overall pick in, uh, in quite a while here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Would you say just be okay? This is gonna get clipped and taken out of context. So every four seconds, I'm gonna say, "Don't clip this and take it out of context." In the middle of my sentences, <laughs> but is this is this the most potential ba- potential only based number one overall pick since Jamarcus Russell? I uh... because you're betting. Purely on potential with Walker. The production yeah. wasn't there. Um, you're hoping that what you bring him into can turn him around, uh, turn him into a star. I'm looking at the list of number one overall picks. Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Jadevian Clowney. Eric Fisher, I think, is different. I've heard 2013 to... Um, 2022 comps for the draft. I don't. I don't really think that. I mean, I think 2013 was just a bad draft. Um, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Sam Bradford, Matt Stafford, maybe Jake Long, uh, from Michigan, maybe Alex Smith. Um, you know, another guy that you'd have to use so correctly. Maybe Courtney Brown. Maybe this was like a Courtney Brown kind of pick too. It's a. Uh, it's a little bit. Look, you could say it's a little bit clowny-ish as far as the lack of production, but clowny was just such an off the charts, uh, just physical specimen coming into the draft. Uh, it reminded me, at least the news cycle leading up to it, and maybe that's the only comparison you can make here. It reminded me a little bit of 2006 when the Texans had the first overall pick, and for months the conversation was, well, Reggie Bush, but maybe Vince Young, and then all of a sudden, three nights for the draft, it's, oh, it's Mario Williams. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then that ended up obviously being the the very correct choice. Uh, it's a little like that, I guess, but Williams is so much more productive uh, on the collegiate level and also just, uh, again, in, in the clowny mold as far as uh, the physical traits go. And, and Walker was probably the best traits guy in this draft, but I don't even think he was at the level of, of those two guys. I will say this, and and I think the Devin Lloyd trade-up sort of hammered this home as well. Whatever they're planning to do defensively, it's going to be, you know, it's it's going to be a little bit, uh, let's just say it's going to be multiple. That's a really lazy way of putting it. Uh, they want guys who can do a lot of different things well is what you're looking at here. Uh, I do think Aiden Hutchinson, in the end, I think he's a wide nine, you know, pass rusher. And that's what he's going to do at the next level. I don't. I don't think there's another way you can really use him. Javon Walker, obviously, you can move him around a little bit. Uh, I know it's kind of a you know, it's it's like well, he rushes on the inside and that's it. Well, that's all right. You can rush him on the inside. That's you're fine with that. Get get in third down, move him inside. There you go. Yeah, I mean, if you had the chance to take Aaron Donald at number one overall in that draft, 
you might have done it right because mm-hmm. that was the um that was the other draft that this reminded me of because uh that that was the Khalil Mack, Jadeveon Clowney, Aaron Donald draft, right? Yep. And yep. so, and Khalil Mack was a little bit like Walker in that he kind of really got pushed up the board late. And then I remember former boss Peter King actually advocating for him to go number one overall a couple of weeks before the draft. And everyone was like, what? You know, like no, nobody was thinking about Khalil Mack at that point being that kind of guy. But it was a situation where the defensive coordinator that was inheriting him had to use him in the right way. And this, I think, will just forever be the biggest gamble in Trent Balky's thought process here, right? Is like, you know, selfishly, you're going to have to legitimize this pick, but so much of the pick success rests on the ability of a coach who doesn't share your brain, you know, like, and is he going to be able to use him the way that you're trying to get him used? And is it going to look the same when you're not playing in a defense that just set the record for the most players on one side of the ball being taken in the first round of the NFL draft? The other storyline in every draft ever held quarterbacks, number one overall pick in quarterbacks. That should really just go on every podcast outline. Uh, Just the one quarterback, just Kenny Pickett going to the Steelers at 20. The Steelers don't have to jump up. Uh, They just sit back and had their choice of all the guys. And then everyone behind them said, we also don't want a quarterback. So uh, the Steelers take Kenny Pickett guy. They're obviously very familiar with, uh, even though, I mean, uh, are, are they going to play with a smaller football this year? Are they going to let him throw like a, a <laughs> hockey puck around the field? I, I don't know how this works. His hands are just too small, Connor. <laughs> They're going to let him. I, I actually took one, like I took it out of my son's hands like a couple hours ago. Like we had these little baby footballs, and it's like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they're like these little rubber baby footballs that you get when you put a quarter into the machine at the grocery store. It's like, oh, they're just going to let Kenny Pickett pay with the baby football. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also just want to point out, like you have a uh, uh, you have a very young child in the house. Do you just litter the floor with like choking hazards? What are you yeah, doing, I mean, Connor? <laughs> yeah uh it was probably a bad idea to buy him like a a gumball machine football but uh you know he's uh he's he's swallowed and eaten uh you know larger pieces of food so i'm sure you know okay. a football would, a football would pass in a few days fair you know? enough you fair just, enough you just you make it work but yeah so old baby hands picket being the first quarterback off the board here um here's here's what here's my thought process on it if any other team besides the Steelers took him, we would have been like, what on God's green earth, especially in the Northeast, in an outdoor stadium, we would be like, what on God's green earth is going on? But it's the Steelers, and Kenny Pickett will probably play there for 10 years, and he'll be pretty good, and uh, and that'll be that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, a, they're just a well-run organization, and well-run organizations can do what the Steelers did, which is ignore the decline of your quarterback for far too long, and then just sit there at 20 and just be like, nah, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens. We'll take Kenny Pickett if he's there. If not, we'll take somebody else and we'll make him good. So we touched on the Jets here. Uh, really nice night. Sauce Gardner, uh, Garrett Wilson, who if you're not going to get Debo Samuel, it's kind of like Garrett Wilson is your next best bet here if you're the Jets. Uh, and then obviously they come back in the first round, get Jermaine Johnson, a guy who, I mean, look, a lot of people thought he was a top half of the first round lock and he ends up sort of sliding down. I do want to talk about the Giants draft, which, you know, it was a little bit 
you know, by the board, a little bit chalk here, but uh, I mean, they end up landing two guys here in Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal that you just feel really good about. Yeah, and I think what's interesting too is Thibodeau is a player who I don't think the Giants would have taken a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that they've always been fairly conservative um, when it comes to um, players who, let's just say like, you know, the Tom Coughlin regime, especially like, right. There's that matrix of like, if a player is ever mentioned as having like some sort of like an outlandish personality or, you know, is, is more expressive or there's the rumor that he doesn't love football or whatever. Like that player almost always traditionally got lopped off Tom Coughlin's board, right. Mm -hmm. Or by extension, Dave Gettleman's board, because that's how Dave Gettleman spent a lot of his formative years. And so I think that, this is a chance for them to finally they just, you know, since Jason Pierre-Paul came and left, they have not had that complete package in terms of tools at the pass rusher position, right? They've kind of just had guys, right? And they had to overpay for people like Olivier Vernon to make up for that. But now they have pure tools like intense speed and bend and quickness and power and this is something that is is very foreign to the giants right uh, over the last five or ten years let's say indeed indeed i want to make one real quick uh point about Kayvon thibodeau and then i want to hear your evan neal take because i know you're a huge evan neal guy but Mm -hmm. uh one thing i should have brought it up during the mock draft show one thing that kept on coming up with thibodeau throughout the draft process because i just i just keep on watching him and be like you know i don't think Hutchinson or or Walker are you know generational prospects by any stretch of the imagination. Neither is Thibodeau, but I just don't know why he's not in the conversation with those two other guys. And one of the things that kept on coming up was like, ah, you know, not a lot of yeah, ankle bend is kind of limited type of thing. Like he played last season on a bum ankle, right? Is doesn't that doesn't that count for anything? <laughs> doesn't yeah. like playing on a severely sprained ankle factor into your assessment of someone's ankle bend? Yeah, it's it it's pure laziness, and you know it was cool. I uh, you know I did a, a story um, inspired by obviously um, a, a great idea that you had for our uh, draft preview issue, and I t- got to talk to uh, to uh, uh, Thibodeau's uh, pass rushing coach, like that he had that he uh, uh, worked with during the pre draft process, and he had these slow motion videos, and I guess a lot of people look cool in slow motion, but like the things that. Thibodeau was able to do with his body like they have those dummies that stick their hands out and mimic like an offensive tackle Mm -hmm. and he was like he was like it was like a ripple like he was almost like liquid getting under like his arms like he he just does it so fast and he's just so fluid and he's got this array of moves uh and I just think he's a really great cool fun player and I think he'll be you know as long as the market doesn't just uh, shake the enjoyment and the life out of him, I think he's going to be a. Uh, I think he's going to be a good addition. That defensive line looks okay now. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't look great. Um, I mean, Leonard Williams is still not going to happen. It's still not a thing. But um, you know, it it looks okay now. <laughs> it does. It does. And you love Evan Neal. Oh my God! Yeah, I I put him number one in my mock draft, uh, and it was funny. <laughs> I, uh, I I fielded a an inspirational pre draft phone call from uh, former boss Peter King, who called. Uh, it was very nice and called just to wish me a, a happy draft. 
And uh, we were talking about the number one overall pick and what we thought might happen. And uh, he said, Connor, Evan Neal's not going number one. He's like, I'm just, you know, he's like, you need to understand that. And I was like, no, I will not understand it. Oh, and I, and I held out hope that he was going to go number one. It was like 30 seconds before the draft. And if I did not have to assist in some uh, kind of calamitous parenting duties at that moment, mm-hmm. I was at my computer tweeting Evan Neal, number one, here we go. Like I was ready for it to happen. I think he is just a badass natural left tackle and now he gets to play on the right side so he doesn't have to you know i I think he'll he'll come out strong he's gonna have a really good first year and you know uh trent balky you know just you're gonna see what you missed out on that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) all right we've arrived at the uh, the miscellany of the show Mm -hmm. uh the 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 potpourri category i'm I'm just gonna yeah. i'm i have three takes i'm just gonna throw out and you can make them what you will you can also throw out your own takes uh maybe we just all yell at the same time and, and <laughs> see how it comes out but uh i really i love what the houston texans are doing i'm totally on the same wavelength of everything going on there right now uh obviously but <laughs> i love the Derek stingley pick and again i don't want to like I, I i know he played two seasons after his freshman year uh I don't know if he really put forth uh, the kind of, you know, full force effort the last two seasons that that maybe you want to see out of him. But I think there's a really uh, likely scenario that Derek Stingley ends up being the most valuable player out of this draft class. And there was all this talk about did he fall to the top 10, uh, which was just nuts to me. So I think taking him third overall was just uh, tremendous. And then Kenyon Green is another guy who is, you know, it kind of be mocked outside the top 25 and, and that sort of stuff. But uh, if you want like a tone setting guard, maybe they play him a tackle, but you know, probably a tone setting guard here for a team that, you know, if you already have 17 running backs on your depth chart, the Kenyon green is the guy you get. So I love those two picks. And obviously the, the Texans also picked up some draft capital moving down uh, from 13 to 15 before they took green there. And uh, yeah, big, uh, big night for Nick Casario. Yeah, um, I would say if there's any if there's any person that you uh, you think can get the most out of a prospect who may have lost his way, it is uh, Texan super character coach Jack Easterby. Uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> no, no yeah. comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was a, I thought it was a good night. Does this qualify? By the way, I said if the Texans got anyone that could directly help <laughs> Lovey Smith run his defense, I would have to. Uh, I would have to fill, uh, I would have to buy, uh, well, I I guess the Texans had to buy me the pool and then I had to float around in, was it vanilla pudding? What did I say? Yeah, it was, vanilla pudding was the only real solid thing we settled on with that. Uh, We're going to have to get some sort of behind the scenes video of like, I don't know, Nick Casario being like, no, 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 we got to take, we got to take Kenneth Walker here. We need another running back and Lovey Smith banging the table and saying, no, I need Derek Stingley. That's right. really the yeah. only way you do it. And and plus we said we do it same night as well, uh, which, you know, it just logistically it was going to be difficult to pull off uh, or confirm that we had to pull it off. Yeah. Oh, well, I have I think I have a little vanilla pudding upstairs, but, you know, <laughs> enough to fill a pool? <laughs> Question mark. You can eat that vanilla pudding and that'll <laughs> that'll be a good compromise right there. Close enough. Yeah. 
Uh, Nicobe Dean falls out of the first round. A little bit surprising. Uh, you know, the Packers. Packers do not take a receiver. I don't think you necessarily blame them based on uh, based on the board. But uh, I, I was still surprised that Quay Walker. Uh, I know a lot of people expected it. I was surprised Quay Walker went and uh, Nicobe Dean didn't. Uh, as our Albert Breer reported the other day, there is some medical stuff going on with Dean that sort of added up that maybe uh, scared people off, especially as an undersized linebacker. But yeah. Kind of su- surprising. Yeah, I mean, I I think in general, I think we need to stop painting every time that the Packers don't draft a wide receiver. Like this is some sort of like knife into the heart of Aaron Rodgers. Like Aaron Rodgers understands that like football, like you also need a really good defense, you know. So like you know, there's a good chance that he's sitting there like, sweet, I'm super glad we didn't like spend some of the Devonta uh, or some of the Devonte Adams trade capital to like get up four spots so we could maybe have a crack at like Dotson. You know, I think the Packers handled it pretty responsibly. You know, I, I, their defense is really good. I mean, I think they're in, in really good shape. Uh, I think they've added uh, some, some multi-dimensional aspects to, uh, to what they have. And uh, of course, lazy Bill Belichick, once again, all the guy does at this point, he just watches Alabama and he watches Chattanooga and that's where he drafts everyone from. <laughs> yeah, this was the greatest. It was just because we don't have the Raiders anymore, right? So we don't have like <laughs> Mike Mayock coming out of nowhere and taking like the, th- you know, we said this last week, but like like a player, like you're just like, what? Um, but, uh, you know, the one truism, the one thing we can depend on is Bill Belichick drafting Cole Strange <laughs> out of the freaking Southern Conference. Um, a guard out of Chattanooga, um, and then just like bouncing, you know, and just being like, yep, no, whatever, you know, don't care. And, uh, boy, it's, uh, it, it just feels a little bit like home, you know? All right, Connor round one in the books. We'll have plenty more about it in the, uh, I don't know, coming week or so. I think that was just about do it. Another week of shows on this draft. And then we're, then we're on to the real off season. Agreed. Uh, I will say this. Uh, do you want to know what my favorite pick of the draft was? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you want to guess what my favorite pick of the draft was? Uh, I don't know if any of your outside of Evan Neal. I mean, I would have said Evan Neal if you'd asked yeah. me before the show, but uh, yeah. I don't know if any of the like Connor's guys to, like Eric Stokes when he went last year. That was mm-hmm. like, oh, man, Connor's going to love that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, in this draft, uh, Lewis Seen with the 32nd pick. No, it was uh, George Karlaftis going all the way at thirty. Oh, I should have known to the that. The Chiefs, yeah. Come on, I mean that's a it's uh, a little bit of a steal there. I think, right? A little bit of a steal. Yeah. Premium position, premium player. Oh yeah. Pick thirty. Yeah, I liked it. Me too. Not as Good much job, as, Andy Reid. Yeah, not as much as Eric Stokes, but I still liked it. Yeah, it, yeah. Nice night for the Chiefs, though. Trent McDuffie, George Karlaftis, they did some work today. All right, so did we. I'll see you next time. The MMQB NFL Podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. And our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Mravik is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Super Bowl champion Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.